Passion Days because we're between serieses, okay? <laughs> so usually we're in a pretty long series where we're working through a book of the Bible like James or we're, we're looking through into uh, the life of someone like Joseph. Um, but we're in the middle of series right now. Uh, Advent is starting in two weeks. Did you know that? That's how like far along in the fall we are. Like two weeks from now, Advent starts. <laughs> right? Uh, so um, I, I get excited about some of like these these weeks because I get to really just take like a, a kind of a one-off sermon. And I've referenced this story before, but I've never taken a, a deep dive into it. And it's a really important story in Scripture that has a lot to do with you and I being a part of the same church or congregation. It has a lot to do with you and I following Jesus together and how sometimes you and I may have some pretty serious disagreements with each other. And what does it look like to continue serving Jesus even though there's some pretty serious disagreements? And this story in Scripture about Barnabas and Paul and a guy named John Mark is really significant and has a lot to teach us about how we can relate with each other. But then also, you know, I've referenced how there's lots of other churches in this city who also love Jesus and follow him. And sometimes there's like pretty serious disagreements between churches or between people that are from different denominations and what, all those different kinds of things. And the scripture actually has a lot to teach us about how we can relate with each other if our ears and hearts are open. And so let me just pray uh, before we jump into this because it's a really important message and my desire today is that we would hear what the Lord has to say and that he would make us more like him in how we respond to each other. So let's just pray. God, I just want to thank you for your word, for every single person here, uh, for what you're doing here in our midst. It's pretty exciting to see some of the things you're up to, uh, and we're excited about the future and, and where you're leading us as a congregation in this city and how you want us to respond and how you want us to continue to show your love. And so we just want to welcome you, and I just pray, Lord, that you would even reveal to us what it looks like to follow you wholeheartedly, um, but then also show us what it looks like when we disagree with someone else who also follows you or loves you? How do we go about either reconciling that or parting ways, or or what does that look like? And so help us to hear you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So a few weeks ago, I talked about a youth group that I grew up in um, that was a pretty kind of rugged uh, youth group in a sense. I, I talked about how at this youth group, they actually had to park a police car outside the doors every week because there were fights and people were bringing drugs and weapons and all kinds of stuff. And it was uh, kind of a learning experience for me about how to minister to just everybody, people from all different kinds of walks of life. Uh, what I didn't share is that uh, later on, as I got older, uh, when in my grade 12 year, uh, I was doing a, a co-op program for school. And for that co-op program, I had to go and work for some place, basically for free, and, uh, and that would be like a part of my school credit. And so this youth pastor um, that had had a huge impact on my life, I asked him, I said, would it be okay if I, if I worked for you for my co-op program for high school? And he said, yeah, I'd love that. Uh, actually, he said, and, and I don't know if he said this in our first conversation or if it was like after he got me in, but he said, I'm planning to, be, to go away for a course and I'd love for you to just be the youth pastor uh, for a couple, like for a couple weeks or a couple months, and I was like really intimidated by this because this guy was a hero in my mind and like had done all these incredible things. Um, but I just said yes. I was like, you know what? If God's opening this door, I think I'll just I'll step into it. Um, 
uh, one of the things that happened before he even asked me to do this was I, I remember one night he asked me to speak uh, at a concert, and I spoke, and it went really bad, uh, okay? Um, it was like one of the worst um, altar calls I've ever seen. Like, it was just a really bad time, and that's my estimation of it. Uh, and I remember feeling like a really big failure after speaking and after not seeing very many people respond to the altar call after this guy who was, like, super successful, these kinds of things, did all this. And I remember him coming up and putting his arm around me and saying, like, okay, when are we going to do the next concert and have you speak again, right? And I'm like, what are you going, like, what's going on in your mind? Like, I just flopped. Like, it was terrible. Uh, and he asked me to, to, to lead while he was gone. And, and what was interesting was I was actually part of a, a missionary team called Harvest Youth Mission at the same time. And the, this youth group that I was leading was a part of a church who had a very different theology than most of my friends who I was doing ministry with. And uh, I actually remember one of my friends who uh, was a part of this youth group at one time, but then he went on to study theology, and, and he like, had come to believe that this youth group was so far off of God's right path of thinking and preaching that they didn't have any impact for the kingdom of God. I remember him telling me, he's like, I don't think that God has ever used that place. He said, it's all just emotion, it's just excitement, it's just heart, and there's really, there's really nothing good coming from that place. Uh, and some of my friends were just, like, weren't necessarily as strong as he was against it, but they were like, just didn't feel comfortable with this place. Uh, and it was a really difficult time for me, because it was a place that God had used to do some deep things in my heart but also a place where a lot of my friends and people I did ministry with were like, yeah, I don't really think that's a great place to be connected with. I don't think they're preaching the gospel properly, right? And uh, in, in the mystery of it all, God uh, used it significantly in my life. Now, what's, fast forward a few years, um, God had called me into ministry, and it was before I went to Bible school. I actually had an opportunity to be ordained uh, under the same denomination as this uh, church, this youth group that I was, had been a part of a few years before. And when I read their, like, theology, like, I just didn't have a piece about pursuing ordination under this group. I was like, no, I don't feel the Lord leading me to go this way. And I didn't. And then within a couple of years, the Lord opened the door, and I, I went to Kingswood University um, and was ordained in the Wesleyan Church, and I know that it was the Lord's leading and all those things. It was really cool. Um, but I look back on this experience with this youth pastor, and he has still had a significant impact on my life in a major way. But there was this parting of ways. And I want to ask you the question before we jump into the scripture, um, like, and I don't want you to answer this, okay? <laughs> but like, when you think about a situation like that, who was right? If you've gone through something, maybe, some, maybe for you, you've, you've experienced something similar and it hasn't been in the context of being a pastor or, or being ordained, but you've like parted ways with somebody who's also a Jesus follower, or you've parted ways with a church over a significant issue. And, and I would like to ask you to just think about the question, like, well, who was, who was right? Most of us would probably, maybe not even pridefully, we'd probably say, well, I think I was. That's why I went the way that I did, right? Like, usually we're pretty convinced that our way of thinking or the decision we've come to is the right one, right? But sometimes it's kind of complicated because you've got, you've got maybe two people or two groups that come to different decisions or convictions, and, and it's sometimes really unclear, like, well, who's right? Who's right in the sight of, of God? And I want to jump into the story of Barnabas, and you'll see why, because there's a lot in here uh, that deals with this, and I'm not going to fully answer the question that I raised, 
because uh, I think in some cases that question is not possible to answer until we are standing in front of Jesus <laughs> face to face. Sometimes it is. Sometimes there's very clear uh, answers to that question, but sometimes it's a little bit unclear. And in the case of Barnabas and Paul and John Mark, uh, I think we're going to see some things that will challenge us um, in how we think about these kinds of things. So the first time we meet Barnabas, I'm only going to read two passages of Scripture, and they're going to be on the screen in relation to this. Uh, but I just want you to know, so Barnabas is a guy, the first time we meet him is at the end of Acts chapter 4. And in, if you remember in the book of Acts, like God is doing some amazing things in the church in Acts. Okay, so when, when the apostles get filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter stands up and he preaches this amazing message and 3,000 people become followers of Jesus in one day. Can you imagine seeing that? Can you imagine seeing 3,000 people become followers of Jesus in one day? Like those are the kinds of things that are happening. And, and the church is being established and built in Jerusalem. And, and the believers are coming together in the church. And the Bible tells us in Acts 4 that like the believers, like they, they came together in such a strength and, and there was no poor among them because they shared everything they had. So there was rich people and there was poor people and they were all coming together and they were sharing everything and everybody was one to the point that there was, no, there was nobody poor or in need among them. Amazing, right? And so there's this incredible community. God's doing this amazing things and, 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 and like people are coming and they're giving gifts. And the Bible tells us that people were actually coming, like laying gifts at the feet of the apostles. So they would like come up to the apostles who were leading and give them like sums of money. And Barnabas was one of those guys. Barnabas actually sold a field that he owned, and he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet, and he said, here, this is just for the church, to help people that are in need, okay? And in, in the Greek, Barnabas' name actually means son of encouragement or son of comfort or son of exhortation. So Barnabas has this, like, encouraging nature about him, right? God's doing some incredible things, and, and he's noticed by the leaders in the church at the time. Barnabas actually goes on to become one of the leading apostles, one of the leading teachers, one of the most significant people in the early church, okay? So after all of the, this stuff that happened near the beginning, um, it, the story jumps in Acts, and we read about a guy named Saul, whose name gets changed to Paul, okay? And if you're unfamiliar, Paul wrote a huge amount of the New Testament, okay? So a lot of the letters like Galatians and Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Paul wrote those. Paul, he's this guy, okay, so when we meet Paul in Acts, okay, we meet him in, in um, early on in Acts, he's a Christian killer, okay? So this movement was happening. People were coming to faith in Jesus. Amazing things were happening. But the the Jewish religious leaders were really upset that this church was growing and that Jesus was being proclaimed because people were taking their focus off of the Old Testament law and and putting it onto Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection. So the Jewish leadership, they're super upset. And Paul rises up, and his name is Saul at first, and he's like, I'll take care of this. So he gets the authority to go into church meetings and drag people out and throw them in prison and sometimes even kill them. So, so Saul's job, okay, was that he could actually come into a meeting like this. He could grab Caleb by the ears and haul him out, <laughs> right? It's always by the ears. <laughs> no, it doesn't say that in the Bible. Don't go looking for that. So they, he could just come in and drag people out, right, and, and, and lock them up. And sometimes people that had, like, fathers that were leaving behind their wife and children, and, like, this is what Saul was doing, okay? And then we read in Acts chapter 9, Saul has this amazing conversion. So Jesus shows up and reveals himself to Saul. He falls off his horse. He sees a bright light, and and Jesus says, Paul, what are you doing? Like, why are you fighting against me? I am God. I'm the God of the Old Testament. I am Yahweh, and I've revealed myself in Jesus Christ. And so Paul has this amazing, amazing conversion experience. He surrenders his life to Christ. It's incredible, right? And so 
Um, that's super important. And then Barnabas, Paul, Paul immediately starts preaching the gospel. So he's going into like churches and he's now saying Jesus is God. And you have to imagine like the Christians in those days were very skeptical that Paul had really changed because they'd all heard stories about him coming into church services, dragging people out, throwing him in the prison. So you can imagine that the Christians were really skeptical, and they're like, no, this, this has to be some sort of, it's a part of his plan to get into these churches and build trust and so that he can shut us down. Like, people just did not believe that he had changed, except for Barnabas. So we're going to read, and this will be up on the screen, um, Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 19. We'll read about Paul and Barnabas. It's, it's yeah, and it, if it's confusing to you when I say Saul and Paul, it's because his name changes partway through this story. So he starts out as Saul, he gets the name Paul. So Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked, And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem... He tried to meet, so Jerusalem is where, like, the church was birthed, okay? So when Saul gets back to Jerusalem, this is the place where all of the leaders are. So if, if Saul was going to have people say, yeah, he's legit, if, they were, if, if his ministry was going to be uh, commended, it was going to happen in Jerusalem. So when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had, been, had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord, and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. And so we see Barnabas here, he advocates on behalf of Saul, who nobody believed had changed. So all of the powers that be in the church, you know, all of the apostles that had walked with Jesus were really skeptical of Saul's story. They're like, yeah, I don't know if we we believe that. This is just a ruse, right? And then, uh, so, so we, we read the part where Barnabas advocates for him. And then later on in chapter 11, Barnabas brings Paul to Antioch, okay? So this is like the first time a church gets planted. So it's in a place called Antioch. And the scriptures tell us in Acts chapter 11, this is the first time that people are actually called Christians. So it's the first time that the word Christian is used. So Paul and Barnabas are a part of, of that. They're seeing God do some really significant things. Uh, and then in Acts chapter 13, we, we read that the Holy Spirit set Paul and Barnabas apart and sent them to go on their first missionary journey. Okay, so Paul and Barnabas, 
are, it's the first time that a missionary journey happens ever in the history of, of, of Christianity. Okay, so Paul and Barnabas get sent out, and they're, what they do is they, they travel out and they start planting churches all over the place. Okay? And God's using them in mighty ways, and they, they bring a guy with them named John Mark. And so this is the first missionary journey, and, and people that have studied this really carefully say that Paul went on three major missionary journeys, and this is the first one. And so they're planting churches, they're seeing God do some amazing things. And in the middle of that, so, so Paul and Barnabas are kind of the leaders of it, and John Mark is with them. In Acts chapter 13, Paul has a really scary encounter with a sorcerer. Okay, so somebody comes who's a sorcerer, and he's working with the, the enemy, with the devil, and Paul boldly confronts him, and God does a miracle, um, but it's actually a really scary encounter. And the scriptures don't say this, but this is right at the time that this Mark guy, this John Mark guy, left Paul and Barnabas. And so it's really possible that whatever happened in that interaction, whatever went on there, kind of freaked John Mark out, and he was like, I'm done. I'm leaving. Okay? So you just want you to be aware with where, where the, we're at in the story. And then we're going to read this in uh, the second part of the story in Acts chapter 15, verse 36 to 41. Uh, this is after their first missionary journey and after a really significant theological decision that gets made in Acts chapter 15. This is where we're picking it up. Uh, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. So what's interesting, uh, and I want, there's three lessons to take away from this, but if, and I'm not going to, there's not time to get into this today, but in Acts chapter 15, the most theological, theologically divisive issue in the whole New Testament is decided on, okay? Um, and it's a major theological issue that the, Paul and Barnabas were a part of making that with the other apostles. And what's fascinating is that Paul and Barnabas were united with all of the other apostles in this majorly divisive theological issue. They were united, okay? So that, that happens in Acts chapter 15. And then, uh, and then right after that, Paul and Barnabas say, all right, let's go back and visit some of the churches that we had planted and see how they're doing. And, and Barnabas says, well, let's take John Mark. And Paul says, we're not taking John Mark. He deserted us. So they've just united with, like, with each other on the most significant theological issue we see in the New Testament in Acts chapter 15. But then they're divided over whether or not to take John Mark with them. And Barnabas advocates for John Mark. He says, no, he's changed. Something like, yes, he deserted us, and yes, whatever went on with him wasn't good, but, but he's changed, and good things are happening, and so we need to take him. And Paul says, nope, no way, because what he did back in Pamphylia was unacceptable. There's no way he's coming with us. And they're so divided on this issue that they part ways. And so here's the three lessons uh, that we can learn from that, and I believe it has a lot to teach us today about relating not only with each other, uh, as we relate, you and I, but also how do we relate with people who are a part of a different 
uh, church, maybe, or a different uh, tradition in some way. And so the first lesson is that, and I'm using the word sometimes on purpose, this will be on the screen, sometimes God will call you to advocate for someone, and it will be costly. Sometimes God will call you to advocate for someone, and it will be costly. And so the word sometimes is used intentionally here. God does not call you to advocate for every single person. But Barnabas, he's one of my favorite characters in the New Testament because of how God uses him. Barnabas, we don't have any record that he wrote any of the books in the New Testament. And after he splits up from Paul and goes in a different direction, we don't even hear about how that missionary journey went with him and John Mark. But what's fascinating about Barnabas is that Barnabas advocated for Paul when nobody else believed that he had changed. And then several years later, Barnabas advocates for this young guy, John Mark, when Paul didn't want to accept him. And the reason that fascinates me is because you'd think that Paul would have, would have allowed, like, would have allowed for John Mark's mistake. You would think that Paul would have been quicker to forgive John Mark because he knows what it was like to be rejected and to have somebody advocate for him. But for whatever reason, Paul stands his ground and says, no, we will not bring John Mark with us. And Barnabas advocates for him. Now, what's fascinating about this is that Paul goes on to be the most significant person in the New Testament. He writes a huge uh, portion of the New Testament. God uses him to preach to the Gentiles. In fact, the reason, if you're not a Jewish person today and you're a follower of Jesus, you can trace your lineage back to Paul and thank him for being the guy that was like, I'm going to take the message outside of Israel to the Gentile people. Okay? Now, now here's something really, really cool. Uh, church tradition, most scholars would agree that this John Mark guy, he's, he's likely the guy that wrote the Gospel of Mark. Okay? The Gospel of Mark, if you don't know this, is actually the most influential gospel. Out of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark was the earliest one written, and it was the one that the others looked back on to make sure they got their details and facts right. So a lot of scholars today, when, when they're looking for the earliest written account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, they would go to Mar Mark because his was the earliest written account of Jesus' life. And, and so what's fascinating is that God uses Barnabas to advocate for Paul to advocate for John Mark, and we know very little about Barnabas. But arguably, we wouldn't know a lot about Jesus if it wasn't for Barnabas advocating for these two significant men of God. Like, it's really incredible. And so Barnabas' role here is like, is, is a different one than, than what you'd expect. He's not the guy that's up preaching. He's not the guy writing letters that we're still reading 2,000 years later. He's the guy that God called to advocate on behalf of somebody that nobody else would believe in. And I just want to say to you that sometimes God will call you to advocate for somebody, and it will be costly. I'm not going to give any specific um, examples of this, but there's been a few times in my life where I've just had a sense from God to stand by somebody no matter what was going to come. And there's been a few times where I've done that, and it's cost relationships, it's cost partnerships, it's cost friendships, but I really believe it was worth it. And the reason, and I'm putting the word in there sometimes on purpose, God doesn't call us to advocate for everybody. But sometimes he calls us to stand by somebody when nobody else wants to accept them, when everybody else rejects them. And that's part of his plan, God's plan, to do his work in that person. And 
I just want to ask you, have, have you had a Barnabas in your life? Like, have you had somebody that has advocated for you when it didn't make sense? I think back to that youth pastor I told you about at the beginning. For some reason, he saw and recognized God's call on my life, even after I failed. Even after I got up and did not measure up to, to what I thought was his standard, he just advocated for me, and he continued to be somebody who said, no, God is calling you. He used to call me a pastor when I was like 13 years old. Didn't even make any sense. He would be like, he'd see me in a crowd of people, and he'd be like, hey, Pastor Nathan. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm 13. Like, <laughs> that started really young. And then him and I, we ended up having like some significant differences, and we've parted ways in ministry. But he advocated for me at a time that was really significant in my life. And I just want to ask you, have you had somebody advocate for you? And the second follow-up question is, have you been a Barnabas for someone else? Has God placed somebody in your life that he wants you to advocate for, even if it's costly, even if it costs you friendships? Second lesson is, and again, the word sometimes is very intentional. Sometimes there is more than one right answer. Okay, and I'm not, I want to be careful with this, okay, I'm not saying truth is relative and you do you and you believe whatever you want and it's fine to just, okay, I'm not saying that. But in the scriptures, this is so clear. Sometimes there is more than one right answer. You know what's interesting about this story? We, we, uh, when we meet on Tuesday mornings uh, for prayer, we meet from 7 to 8, and we take whatever scripture we're going to be preaching on Sunday, we read that and we pray through it together. We discuss it and then we pray. And it's a really big benefit to me. And I think it might have been Randy. Um, if not, it was someone else. So I think it might have been Randy that was just pointing out, like, maybe, maybe... John Mark needed both Paul and Barnabas. So John Mark, okay, he's this guy that, for whatever reason, he's on this missionary journey, and he's with these two great men of God, and he's seeing significant things happen. And for whatever reason, in the middle of the missionary journey, he deserts. He leaves. Maybe it was greed. Maybe it was selfishness. Maybe he had, like, a girlfriend back home that he missed. And Paul's like, bro, don't go see your girlfriend. We're doing God's work. Like, who knows what the, who knows what the disagreement was, Right? But something was significant. He leaves partway through. It's not, a good, it's not a good thing, okay? But then when the second missionary journey opportunity comes available, Paul says, no, you're not coming. And Barnabas says, well, I want, I want you to come. It's really quite possible that God was using both of those responses in John Mark's life because sometimes we need a harsh word and sometimes we need a gentle word. Do you, like, have you experienced that in your own life? Like, sometimes you've got people that that they're going to tell you the harsh thing. And maybe when you're going through a hard time, you're not going to go to them. But maybe when you need to know what's true, you're going to go to them. Do you have people in your life like that? Like there's people that like, they're just blunt and they're, they're a little bit hardcore. And when I really want to know the truth, I want to know what they have to say. I tend to be uh, an encourager. And, I, and I've noticed that like I'm quick to encourage people. I'm quick to come alongside of them and, and, and speak into them. So if somebody's looking for blunt truth, they don't always come to me, Right? Because I'm like, I really want to just encourage people, even if they're maybe off base or maybe even if they're, they're wrong. But they'll go to somebody that they wouldn't normally go to that's a little bit harsher because sometimes we need that. You think of King David in his life. He had this best friend named Jonathan, right? And Jonathan was there with him through the difficulties, through the difficult times, the hard times, and he believed in King David. But King David also had another guy in his life named Nathan who was harsh and he was a prophet. And when David sinned, Nathan came and was like, you're wrong. And if you don't repent, you're going to be judged harshly by God. David fell to his knees and he repented. You know, sometimes God uses both of those things. Sometimes he uses the harsh 
the blunt, and sometimes he uses the encouraging and, and the ex- exhortational type word. And so I look at this, and, and I think because of my 21st century mindset, I'm like, well, who's right? Was, was Barnabas right or was Paul right? And I think sometimes God's answer to that is yes. Is Barnabas right? Is Paul right? Yeah. Yes. Sometimes God uses both responses. Sometimes there's more than one right answer. And you know what's, what's really beautiful in this story is that the, so they split ways. They have this disagreement. One goes one way, one goes the other. And God's work is being done in significant ways as they part ways, maybe even more so because of the division. So I don't believe God was rejoicing in this division. When Paul and Barnabas had their argument, I'm sure God wasn't like, oh, this is awesome. They're, they're so mad and they're calling each other names or whatever was going on. But like he actually used that division in a really significant way. And so uh, I, I want to reemphasize this. So sometimes there's more than one right answer. But it's important, the context is really key. If you go back and study Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas, they were united on the things that mattered the most. They were united on who Jesus is, on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They were united on the fact that only Jesus is the way to God. That is vital. That is so important. So their division wasn't over the things that were uh, integral to the gospel, but their division was over other things, other maybe theological issue. We don't know what, what it was with, with John Mark, why he left, but they had other issues that were going on that they divided over and God used it. Sometimes there's more than one right answer. I uh, will just finish that last thought. Um, this was a good week to do this sermon because two weeks ago, Gene preached. Last week, Melody preached and it was awesome. And this week I'm preaching. So there's been a different person in the last three weeks. And I've just had this vision in my heart for, for, for our church, for Transformation Church. Like, you're not going to resonate with everything that I say or, or everything that I believe. You may not resonate with everything that, that Gene says or believes or Melody says or believes. And I have this, like, desire that we would become a church that we're actually united on the things that matter. We're united on, like, who Jesus is, so much so that when you hear from somebody that you're like, ah, oh, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, or I don't know where they stand on this issue or that issue, where you're like, you know what, it's, it's okay. I don't have to believe every single thing that person believes because we're united we stand with each other on the things that matter the most. And I'm not bringing that up because of anything specific that Gene or Melody or I said. For full disclosure, I've had people come to me after sermons and been like, I didn't like that you said this, or I didn't like that you used that. And I think that's healthy. I think that's a healthy part of community. There's no way we can all agree with each other on everything. But my, my vision for what a healthy church community looks like is that there would be a diversity of voices that speak and, and where if, if you were kind of like felt off by something, that that wouldn't throw you off to the point where you're like, well, I can't be a part of that. Or maybe we'd celebrate it. Maybe we'd be glad um, at the diversity in our midst. The third lesson, uh, stand firm in your convictions, but keep your ears open to being corrected. So stand firm in your convictions, but keep your ears open to being corrected. This isn't up on the screen, but in Colossians chapter 4, Verse 10, Mark, this is near the end of Paul's life, Mark is actually in prison with Paul. So this, this division that happened was early in the life and ministry of Paul, okay? So fast forward to near the end of Paul's life, he's actually in prison with Mark, and he's speaking highly of him. He's actually commending him to another church, saying, hey, when Mark gets there, treat him good. And then in 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, that might have been one of the last letters Paul wrote, he actually asked for Mark to be sent to him. 
So it's interesting that, like, there's no mention of Paul's reconciliation with Barnabas in a, in a specific way like we see with, with John Mark. But, like, near the end of Paul's life, there is this incredible reconciliation over whatever this issue was. And we see it twice. So whatever differences Paul had, he, at the end of his life, got over it. And he, he got to the point where he was actually asking for John Mark to be sent to him. So... Paul doesn't come out and say, I was wrong. I shouldn't have sent John Mark away in that many words. He may have in those days. But what's really important is that we see that this reconciliation happened near the end of his life. And I just want to, what I want to encourage us with is that it is vital and it is important to stick to your convictions. There's people that I've had, I've parted ways with over different things. There's groups that I haven't necessarily aligned with that I don't feel that's wrong or sinful. Sometimes it's necessary. But I try to keep my heart open to the point where, God, if I'm wrong, I just pray that you would reveal that to me. Because I think that's what Paul was doing. I think that's what we're seeing in these scriptures is that at the end of his life, Paul, he, he welcomed John Mark with open arms. Because there was an openness in his heart to be corrected in some way. You know, Jesus, in the famous prayer that he taught us, when his disciples asked, they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. He, he taught them, uh, and I'll read the first couple lines, to say, Our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus was saying to us to say to the Father, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not my will. You know, the world tells us, trust your instincts, trust your gut, hold on, like you, you kind of figure things out for yourself. And, and we, we really, the world tells us to, to like basically make ourselves gods, right? But the scriptures are so different. Jesus says, no, don't think like that. Like come before God in a, in a posture of just humility and say, Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is. Not my will, right? And we see that in the example of people like Paul who was willing at the end of his life to call for this person that he had this major division with. And so my, my, my challenge to us is stand firm in your convictions. You know, if you believe something is, is totally right and the, tri- the true way to move forward on something between you and God, stand firm in that. But keep your heart open. Lord, am I wrong in some way? I see divisions happening with people within their families. You know, there's sibling rivalry or, or difficulties between parents and their, um, their children, or there's differences between two spouses, or like you think of all the relationships that, that you have, and, and the reason people part ways is because both have a desire for their will to be done, my will, not them. They don't understand me, they don't get it whatever, for whatever reason, and what Jesus teaches us is like, pray that God's will be done. So yes, stand firm in your conviction. When you believe something is true, stand firm in it. Even, even the, the division of, of Paul and Barnabas led to good things, but keep your heart open to being corrected by God. Keep your heart open to God coming and saying, your attitude was way off a couple of years ago. You need to go back and reconcile. You need to go back and embrace that person with open arms. Sometimes God does that years later. He's done that with me. There's been people years later where I've had to go back and say, I was, I was wrong. My question is, like, would you be willing to do that if the Lord revealed that? Because that's how we can be a church that is united, a Barnabas church. And so the, uh, in conclusion to this, um, and this should be up on the screen, if we're a Barnabas church, I just want you to imagine um, that we, we are kind of what we're talking about here in the Scriptures, 
that it would look like this, that we advocate for each other, that we embrace each other amid differences, and that we hold strong to our convictions with an openness to being corrected. And that last one's key, because I'm not talking about unity to the point where you just ignore your convictions and where you're just like, we all believe the same things. We all, it's okay to have differences of views, and it's okay to even part ways over some things, as long as, as, long as there's an openness to Him correcting us. Lord, it's not my will, it's Your will. So if I'm wrong in this, show me. Like, that has to be the case. But imagine if we were this, this kind of a church, if, this, if our congregation was that way, where we just we believed in and advocated for each other. We embraced each other even amid our differences. We, there was a love for each other because we're united on the things that are integral, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And if we held strong to our convictions with an openness to be corrected. I'm going to invite the team to come up. We're going to close with a couple uh, songs. And I just want to encourage you, even as we, as we do this, um, you know, one of the things that we emphasize when we gather together is we worship God. We worship the King. We lift up the name of Jesus. But, but what God desires, when he, looks, when he looks at us, He sees His children. And I can speak to you from the perspective of a dad. I've got six kids. Uh, and for Vicky and I, we love when our kids love each other. Right? For any parents in the room, when you see your kids just loving each other, you didn't tell them to do anything special for the other one, like, doesn't that just kind of warm your heart? Like, when I see one of my children doing something really nice for the other one, they weren't asked, it was just kind of like... Their desire, like they just wanted to. It's, as a dad, I'm like, oh, I love that. Like, I love that love being shown. And, and we believe God is our Father. He's, he's the one we look to as our Heavenly Father and His desire for us. We worship Him. We lift Him up. We, we praise Him as God, as King, as Sovereign. But we also relate to Him as Father, and He sees us as children. And His desire is that we would, we would be a church that's, that's like that. We advocate for each other. We embrace each other. I don't expect my kids to agree on everything. Believe me. <laughs> There's just no way. I think it's healthy that they don't, right? But I want them to embrace each other amid the differences. And, and we hold strong to our convictions with an openness to being challenged. I'm going to pray and then we'll sing these last couple songs together. Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. Um, and Lord, as we look at Barnabas and Paul and John Mark and this whole... Um, situation that happened with them and the, the division and then the reconciliation at the end and just kind of all the complexity in the midst of all that. Um, Lord, all of us can relate to division in our own lives, whether it's in our, our marriage or in our families or with, within church communities we've been a part of or here. Um, but God, I just pray that as we wrestle through all of that, you'd help us to learn lessons from what you've given us in Scripture. Barnabas uh, had a way of, of, of advocating for people, and, and, and what we learn from this story is that there's a way to be reconciled, there's a way to be united, there's a way to hold true to our convictions. And I just pray, Lord, that as we worship you, that you would reveal to us how to love each other, how to embrace each other. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to do such a work in us that you would unite us. Jesus, you, in your prayer in John 17, you said that it was our love for each other that would prove to the world that you're the Son of God. Not our theological arguments, not, not all of the amazing things we do at a, a church service or how we draw people in, but it's our love for each other. We just pray, Lord, that you would help us to actually live that prayer out, that we'd love each other the way you prayed that we would. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You could stand with us and we'll sing these last couple songs.